2: What's good, my friends? This is the most interactive sports talk show anywhere. It's Offsides, Mark Ryan and Diesel, and we are the Fan Upstate rolling on until 7 o'clock p.m. today. Truly do appreciate you guys making time for us. We know you have a lot of choices out there. Here's how you can take part in the show. You can give us a ring at 844-FAN-PHONE. That's 844-326-3663, and thecarpro.com text line is there for you at 71307. Just start your text with the word FAN, and away you go on the show. In this hour, we have got Lawton Swan from ClemsonSportsTalk.com, set to join us here on the show uh, very excited about that. That is coming your way in the next segment, in the next segment of the show. So uh, be sure you get your Clemson questions in there. All right. As for us, it is time for us to do a little ditty. We call it the top five at five, the top five biggest sports stories of the day, the top five topics we're discussing. Ladies and gentlemen of the upstate offsiders, the top five at five starts right now.
0: And now, the top five at
2: five. And five, four, three, two, one. Hit it. Five. At number five, changes at Clemson. Uh, the Clemson football team released a statement this afternoon that I got by way of email saying head coach Dabo Sweeney announced today that defensive ends coach Lemansky hall and Thomas Austin will not return to Clemson's coaching staff in 2024. Uh, Thomas Austin is the offensive line coach, not returning. Uh, th- it seemed to me like reading between the lines in terms of what Dabo was saying, um, he's, he, he says that Lemansky hall um, is, it seemed to be a mutual decision after a discussion between the two of them. Thomas Austin's did not. Thomas Austin sounded like Dabo made the decision for a new direction for the offensive line because the offensive line stinks and was a major part of the reason that Clemson is underachieved this year. So Lamansky hall gone, Thomas Austin gone. Poor O-line performance leads to a changing of the guard. It's It's not all that dissimilar to what the Carolina Panthers are going through with Bryce Young, right? How do you evaluate Bryce Young behind that offensive line? It's offensive, right? How do you evaluate Cade Klubnick as a quarterback behind that offensive line at Clemson? In many games, the 40-year-old virgin scores more, right? So Clemson makes a change at offensive line coach Thomas Austin, Lemansky Hill. Thank you for your service. Good luck in your future endeavors, which is the professional way of saying, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. Next up. four. At number four today, a word to the wise for Shane Beamer. I am told that uh, from multiple media contacts that there is concern inside Gamecock football offices that the drip of players entering entering the transfer portal could become a flood. That's not what I'm predicting. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm simply saying there's concern about how many guys they could in Columbia, South Carolina. Here is what I know from Shane Beamer's standpoint. Number one, the Gamecock fans deserve an explanation for what the hell was going on with Juice Wells. Juice Wells today announces that he is entering the transfer portal. Well, he played, he didn't play at all. You know, he played, what, one or two games this year? Very ineffective. Was, I thought, actually before the year, right? He could be an all-SEC performer. There was never any explanation from Shane Beamer about this. There was never any explanation from Juice Wells about this. And given what Juice Wells received in name, image, and likeness compensation, the fans are owed an explanation about what exactly went down here. The other thing I would advise Shane Beamer on, stay far away from K.J. Jefferson. If you sign K.J. Jefferson... It will be an admission that you are in a world of trouble, that the hot seat has turned up so much on you that you're developing third-degree burns. The last time we saw this in Columbia, Will Muschamp signed Colin Hill. He died on Collins Hill, Will Muschamp did, because he was trying to save his own arse in a must-win season instead of doing what was best for the program, starting Ryan Halinski, Right. I remember really chiding and criticizing the Gamecocks and Will Muschamp for doing that. The best thing for the Gamecocks right now is resetting with Lenora Sellers, building a new nucleus and core surrounding Lenora Sellers. But if they go get KJ Jefferson, if they're gonna do this musical chairs at quarterback, it just shows you that Beamer's coaching for himself, not the program. I don't think he will, I don't think he should. Stay far away. Next up. Three. At number three, we've asked you guys today how to fix the Carolina Panthers. And uh, we've got some sound here from none other than Bryce Young, who continues to believe that there's been some growth on the offensive side of the ball. Just for whatever reason, you haven't seen it yet.
1: I I do feel like there's been growth, there's been improvement, uh, and I think the biggest thing is that growth and improvement translating to success on the field uh, as a a team, um, because ultimately
2: that's all that matters, that's all I care about is is us having success. The words of Bryce Young, Bryce continues, look, we all take ownership of our suckage. It wasn't all on Frank Reich. We all
1: take ownership, uh, especially offensively, it's all of us, uh, you know. We all, I think we all, we all look in here. We all, you know, there's all things that we could have done better. We all want to do better. And it's, you know, it's a collective unit. There's no, there's no finger pointing from players, coaches, nothing. There's no, we all,
0: um, we all could have been better. We,
3: we, we have to improve. God, if I had to take a shot for every time he said we all in that 23 second clip, I'd be hammered before the end of the segment.
2: Look, it's, that's what leaders do. They they deflect, they don't they don't um, they don't point the finger. They say we all are accountable for what's going on, and we certainly appreciate that, Bryce. But it is bad. It is really bad. And we task you guys with fixing the Carolina Panthers. What's the first thing you do? Diesel says he'd tell Dave Tepper, Texter called him Dave Tupperware. Uh, he said <laughs> he'd call he'd tell Dave Tepper, stay out of the building. Stay the hell out of the building. Do not come in here. If you couldn't get rid of Dave Tepper, if you had to work with what you have, how would you fix the Carolina Panthers? When you consider the fractured relationships between them and their own city in Charlotte, fractured relationships between the Carolina Panthers and the state of South Carolina, used to be you'd get a lot of response talking Carolina Panthers here. Hasn't been the case in two or three years over these parts you got to mend those fences. you got to put a winning product on the field. My first call would be to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh's representatives called Dave Tepper last year. Dave Tepper did not return the call. Beggars can no longer afford to be choosers. Jim Harbaugh is a little prickly, is an old-school coach in a new-school era, but all he does is win. I think Jim
3: Harbaugh might have enough of a stubborn streak in him to stand up to Dave Tepper. And and say, your way sucks, Dave. I'm here now. We're doing it my way. I don't think any of these other guys. I I think Frank Reich is too nice. Yep. Uh, you get a younger uh, a coordinator that might come in to take the job. They're probably going to be intimidated by their boss and their owner. Like Jim Har- Harbaugh could probably care less if you fire him. That's why you need Couldn't him. Couldn't care less.
2: I That's say. why you need him. You need someone with a cachet to go toe to toe with Dave Tepper to challenge Dave Tepper, who somebody who doesn't need Dave Tepper's money, that is Jim Harbaugh. And the word circulating around Ann Arbor is that this could very well be Jim Harbaugh's final foray into college football this particular offseason coming up. Next up. Two. All right, so what do we know right now? We know that Sean McGinn has entered the transfer portal at Clemson. We know that Bo Collins has entered the transfer portal at Clemson. Hunter Helms entered the transfer portal at Clemson. Mitch Jeter, kicker, South Carolina, entered the transfer portal. Juice Wells, transfer portal. Colton Gothier, Tanner Bailey, also gone from South Carolina. Uh, we do have knowledge on all of these transfers, and we're keeping, uh, keeping our finger on the situation to let you guys know all that is going on right there. I think the Juice WELLS news particularly ticked a lot of people off considering the fact that he was unavailable the entire season, okay? And then last week announces that he's not going to play against Clemson, but he's not going to declare for the draft, and he'll be back next season until he isn't, right? You can't come out and say that and then peace out, that's a major, major problem. And I was I was thinking about this, folks. It's like, how is it even fair for us to judge Billy Napier, for us to judge Shane Beamer, if they can't even control what's going on with their rosters right now? Those rosters are in shambles, my friends. <laughs> Complete and total shambles. How do you make sense of that at all? How do we judge these guys if they can't, piece together a roster you are having to rebuild a roster every single year in this era and it is just absolutely positively brutal right you go to a school you play one game you dip for a million dollars to another school you're a college coach you got people tampering with your roster all year long you have to make salary cap decisions all of a sudden because you only have so much money. You get to roster build for one year and one year only. Ryan Day, the coach of Ohio State, said it would take him $15 million a year just to keep his roster together. Hey, Marvin Harrison, what is it going to take to ta- to keep you? Well, coach, I've been offered $800,000. I'll stay here for 760 dollars I mean, think about what it's like to coach and then how do you evaluate Shane Beamer? Maybe Shane Beamer's a good coach and he doesn't have the money at South Carolina to compete. The Gamecocks are reportedly 12th out of 14 SEC teams in terms of name, image, and likeness finances. What say you guys about that? And finally... One. At number one. I am never going to be cool with the dudes that peace out on bowl games. Never gonna be cool with that. Never gonna be cool with guys who say, you know what, man, I'm not gonna finish what I started. Never gonna be cool with guys that do not understand the word commitment. The problem is that the rules that we enact don't help them either, all right? The NCAA says you can transfer twice without a penalty. You can transfer three times without a penalty if your last time is when you're a graduate student. How does, that, how does that help instill the value of commitment among our young people? And then we wonder why the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. And then we wonder why nobody has committed relationships anymore. Coach Prime said today, look, man, these guys can't even stay committed to their girlfriend. You want them to stay committed to a school? We are failing these kids by not instilling these values in them. And it's also ruining the sports of college football. You know, we're, we're rapidly arriving at the destination where you are going to be responsible for paying for
3: your team's players. Coach Prime also said, yeah, we don't have much of an offensive line, but that's okay because I can go out and get one.
2: That's right. We will see and if he can. he's not
3: talking about recruiting high school players.
2: <laughs> we'll see if he can. We'll see if he can, folks. But in any case, um, you know, Jeremiah Trotta Jr., not playing in a bowl game, shameful, absolutely shameful. You you have a greater chance of sustaining a career-ending injury in a car accident between now and April than you do in playing one additional game. Coaches should have contracts that tie them through the end of the year. Scholarships should have legislation, should have verbiage that tie them to the school through the end of the year. No play, no pay. It's that simple. What do you guys say about that? And those are today's top five at five. Now it's your chance to chime in, which you can do at 844-FAN-PHONE. That's 844-F-A-N-F-O-N-E. That's 844-326-3663. CarPro.com text line is there for you at 71307. Just start your text with the word FAN and away you go. You can get to us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on YouTube. We'd love to have you at The Fan Upstate on every one. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube. And finally, email. You guys can all email the show. Mark Ryan, that is M-A-R-C Ryan, at thefanupstate.com. All the different ways you can get in touch with us here on the most interactive sports radio show anywhere. Up next, Lawton Swan. Thomas Austin, gone. Defensive end coach, gone. Why? Lawton Swan joins us next here on Offsides. We are the fan upstate. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. It's Offsides, Mark Ryan and Diesel. We are the Fan Upstate, rolling on until 7 o'clock p.m. today. Hope you guys are having a great one, man. Always do appreciate you making time for us, as well as our next guest, Lawton Swan, from ClemsonSportsTalk.com, on Twitter, at ClemsonSports. Lawton, you know, it's interesting. I never heard you say that I would replace Lemansky Hall and Thomas Austin. Yet that is what happened today. That's, that's not to say that you got a call for anyone's job or anything. Along. I'm just curious if, if you feel these changes were warranted. So
1: I did mention on my show uh, that I thought Lemansky Hall could be a move, and this was probably, I don't know, man, maybe a month or so ago. Because I think Nick Eason can do that job uh, very well with both the defensive uh, tackles and the, the defensive ends. So I, I think that's a spot where when you're looking at the the sheer numbers and trying to figure out what you're going to do with your staff, that's a, an opportunity to maybe trim and add, right? So that was one. And I'm, I'm not saying in a bad way, like I thought Lemansky did a poor job, but I just think, Uh, I like to consider myself an efficiency expert. And if you've got a guy that can do the job that two people are currently doing, uh, you can afford to make the move that Dabo Sweeney and and the staff did there. I don't know where they'll go Uh, in terms of that. I I don't necessarily believe they'll follow it up with a defensive ends coach. I think you can see uh, my suggestion would be uh, if you want to try to figure out how to get Jeff Scott back in the program, which I know a lot of people talk about, is say to Jeff Scott, look, we're going to make you a special teams coordinator. It's a little light, a little bit lighter lifting, if you will, on the day-to-day basis for game planning and stuff, and then get him back into recruiting. And you know he's in the upstate. Obviously, he wants to raise his kids, but that would be my consideration on that front. Um, and, and then the offensive line, you know, if Walker Parks doesn't get hurt, how does the season look? I will say it, it doesn't feel like Tristan Lee's developed the way people would have liked. Uh, obviously, Mitchell May is getting into Porter. Uh, Brian Tucker hasn't really panned out. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that haven't worked out. And I think Clemson was a little bit spoiled by Robbie Caldwell's run, the fact that they brought in a guy like Mitch Hyatt, and he could start right out of the gate. Uh, you know, and, and is that a Mitch Hyatt thing, or is, is that a developmental thing? I, I, don't, I don't know, but, yeah, so – not surprised necessarily at the names. A little bit more surprised at Lamansky Hall, but I did kind of look at his position as one that was—I don't want to call it expendable, right? But I do think if you were going to make a move and and uh, trust that that Nick Easton could coach both spots, I think that was one you could certainly do it. Do it with
3: Lawton. You know, we all know that that an offense of any team lives and dies by how good its offensive line is. Can you block? Can you protect? I mean, if you can't do those things. You are unlikely to be successful in anything, really, that you're trying to do. Uh, you know, And if we can agree upon that, grade Garrett Riley's performance this year, because I think a lot of Clemson fans expected to see that high-powered TCU offense come in and be improved based on just talent level at Clemson supposedly being higher than it is at TCU. So uh, give me a grade on Garrett Riley this year.
1: Are we, are, are we taking out wide-out injuries and all that, too? I mean, are we just talking well, steam and I, everything?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I, I know that key injuries can really affect a team, but everybody's got injuries. I tend to diminish the, the quote-unquote injuries argument because everyone has them, and anybody who argues injuries is really saying we have a lack of quality depth because the next guy up behind him just wasn't ready to go.
1: Yeah, I think from a standpoint, I'd probably go – C minus C plus somewhere in that range. Um, I, I went back probably six or seven games into the season and just threw on some of the TCU matchups. And I can't remember if I was talking with you guys or another radio show about it, but as I was watching it, there were some things that I saw in that offense a year ago that made me go how much of the calls on a day by day basis at TCU were also made, you know, with Sonny Dykes kind of having his hands in the offense as well. So, there was a little bit of that, but I, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't a glowing A-plus performance by any means, uh, but I don't think it's down in, like, the D category. I think they're, you know, you the a young quarterback still trying to get a new system under his belt. You've got a coordinator coming to a new team in a new league trying to make sure that he's got the, the pieces all in place. So, yeah, I think a B-minus, C-plus probably is fair for year one.
2: Lawton Swan joining us. Lawton, uh, you and I have discussed at length Cade Klubnick. Where are you in terms of, you know, like it was clear to me, by the way, that towards the end of the season, Clemson's strategy was to make him the the dreaded game manager. Because with that defense, (laughs) with that defense, right, if he doesn't screw it up, uh, they can play with anybody, right? Clemson can play with Georgia. Clemson can play with Alabama, Oregon, Michigan. If the offense doesn't screw it up, so, from your in terms of what your gut's telling you, Lawton, to what degree is just Cade who he is? Like, how do you amend poor decision making that repeats itself over and over again?
1: That's tough. I'll, I'll say this: there was. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was in the press box at Williams-Brice, and it was in the third quarter. I think maybe just after Clemson, you know, took the 16 to seven leads so early early third quarter, Mark. I looked at the guy sitting to my right, and I said, if I'm Clemson, I wouldn't throw this ball again. And then there were a couple of formations where they ran out five wide, and I was like, what are they doing? And then they'd motion, you know, Will Shipley into the backfield, and I was like, okay, that's the spirit. That's what
2: you want to do. So, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, the game manager uh, thing, I haven't heard that one about him, but it did feel that way a lot on Saturday in williams Bryce Stadium because I felt like, you know, the the, the team – Clemson really didn't feel like South Carolina could move the ball on them, so they didn't feel compelled to necessarily try to do it themselves. Um, You know, I I think there's still been some moments, right, where you watch him and you see the kid that you saw the first time that he really had his opportunity in that ACC championship game against North Carolina where he makes some throws in the traffic across the middle that you go, man, that's that's a great pass. And then there are these other moments, Mark, where you go, you know, it's, it's head-scratching. And so I, I don't know what the, the timeline will be for him next year to really kind of showcase himself. I don't know what they'll look for in the portal, but the thing you know next year that Clemson will definitely have is a guy in Christopher Bazina that they don't have to fear ripping the red shirt off, right? Like, it, it's, it'll be a, a battle between those two guys uh, if there's not somebody else in the mix, and I do expect them to go out into the portal and get somebody, because Bazina, you know, won't be somebody that they're going to try to redshirt. I mean, they're going to try to get him in there and play him. So uh, that would be my thing. I, I think you probably, you know, Kelly Bryant, let's look at the Kelly Bryant situation. Kelly Bryant led Clemson to the college football playoffs as the number one seed. Trevor Lawrence came in, and in game four at Georgia Tech, I read an article after the game. I said, man, this is this is over. Like, the performance on the field showed me that, that Trevor Lawrence needed to be the guy. And that's when that decision was made, and that's when Kelly Bryant decided that he was going to leave the program. So, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily four games, but I, I think there will be much more competition for the starting spot next year than there was this season. I'll say that.
3: Lawton, you said the P word, so let's go there. You know, everybody hates the portal when it's <laughs> your team losing players, but everybody seems to love it when it's, It's players from outside choosing your team. Uh, We all know Dabo's portal policy. He really doesn't like it, but he will begrudgingly uh, do some fan service and pretend to be interested in it here and there. Are are there any tidbits, you know, now that there's so many highly publicized players out there that you might be able to share with us of of players that Clemson would really like to go out and get or that uh, guys that might be interested and have shown expressed some interest in choosing Clemson?
1: Well, I think you know for the most part, Clemson and and really everybody's going to play this close to the the vest. That's just kind of the nature of it all at this point. I will say I think that Clemson doesn't have an aversion to it nearly as much, and you can't hardly avoid it. I, I don't know if y'all saw the statistics the other day about how many players were in the transfer portal. Uh, I think it was like in 2013 or something like that versus what it is today. I mean, it's just an absurd percentage, but. Clemson continues, you know, to really try to do some things in the portal, and one would be with the offensive line with Allen Aaron, a kid out of Shorter University. And as soon as Clemson offered him, uh, you started to see him pick up offers from other schools. Um, you know, Auburn, I think, came in after the Tigers, and and that's kind of the the nature of it right now. It's you know, it is. I, I mean, have y'all been following it the way I have? Because sure. it's it's honestly more chaotic than. Remember when National Signing Day was just in February? and how chaotic those days could be. I have found the portal to be more chaotic than that, and it is very hard to just justify and keep up with, you know, how this can be good for anybody in the sport. And I'll tell you what I think it's going to come down to. And I I hope, you know, when this thing gets argued before Congress again, that it comes down to graduation rates. Because at the end of the day, if these guys are going to be college athletes, graduation rates need to be uh, a part of it. And if we're just having guys jump around and guys aren't graduating, then then these institutions, whether you talk about the academic side or the athletic department side, aren't doing justice for these young men who have an opportunity to get a free education in our country, which is something a lot of people traveling around with student loan debt right now would say, man, I wish I could have gotten uh, my degree for free. Now, a part of it certainly on the player, but this system that we put in place I think is failing student athletes in a large, in a large way. Maybe not financially, maybe not financially, but if the NFL has taught us anything, money does not last forever. And if these guys aren't getting what they need while they're in school, uh, that's a pretty sad, sad uh, on the game that we all love.
3: I don't know if this is the, these are the numbers that you saw uh, but I but I heard a stat yesterday that uh, about eight eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, the average number of players on a roster that were portal guys was about 7%, and it's estimated that next year the average team will have 20% of its yeah, roster it. being portal guys. Yeah. Which is Triple. just absurd.
2: It's a, when a, I was yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lon. So I was going to say, like, when I was
1: in school – if you transferred in conference, if I recall correctly, you, you sat the year and you lost it. So if you left Clemson in, in football as a sophomore and you went to North Carolina, you sat that year. And when you played, you were a, a, a senior. And Tim Bure was on my show today. He was telling me in the SEC, uh, it was two years that you had to sit out.
2: It's, it's insane to me that, uh, that, you know, we don't see what we're doing to young people by failing to instill the value of commitment. That same lack of commitment will be seen in higher divorce rates, will be seen in a lack of committed relationships, will be seen in your word meaning nothing, right? Um, and it'll be seen with kids piecing out of bowl games. And it's just unbelievable to me that, that you know, the NCAA feels as though Two free transfers is actually good for the kids, instilling commitment, working through adversity instead of leaving adversity. It's just it's mind boggling to me, Lawton. It really, really is. And it's disgusting. And, you know, it, it, it results, Lawton, in us having to evaluate guys like Billy Napier and Shane Bieber and not so much Dabo when, you know, so much of what's going on around them in their programs, they have no control over. Shane Beamer can't control that South Carolina is 12th out of 14 teams in NIL funds, right? But he damn sure is going to be evaluated by whether he wins next year, right? With what? What is he going to have at his disposal? That's a terrifying proposition. Who would want to go into this profession right now? Oh, that's right. Somebody who wants to be paid $20 million not to coach and to go away.
1: Right? <laughs> the American dream. Yeah. Um here, here, here's my thing about it. And, and I don't want anybody to believe because there was a point in this whole thing, Mark, where I didn't really like the idea of players being paid. I don't necessarily like the way it's currently constructed because of what you just mentioned, you know, you, you, you should have some sort of commitment and, and I, I'm not necessarily against you know contracts at this point for players and saying, look, if you choose to go to this school, you sign a contract, and you're going to go here. I'm also not against performance-based play. Hey, hey, you know what? You throw 10 touchdowns, that's 100 grand. You throw 20, that's 200 grand. And, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I still believe the thing we have to curb more than anything at this point is the portal. I think you're all over it because it has created, like, you could say, well, you can't have an inducement to get a player, but are you kidding me? How even if it's all just conjecture, and I don't really care what DJ Uyunglele wants to do, that's perfectly fine. He wants to transfer out of Oregon State, great. But how, just moments after he puts it out that he wants to transfer, to people say, and we think it might be Florida State or Oregon? I'm like, how is that even a thing? The portal's not even technically open yet. I know it is for him because his coach left. But what we've done, we've made a mockery of this whole thing. And and honestly. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm finding myself enjoying the NFL more because at least I know who the players are and what team they're on. That's a problem now because you can't keep up with where anybody is anymore or who they play for.
3: Just a reminder, uh, uh, Lawton, it is the FCS playoffs. And if you want a purer level of football, Furman is playing in the uh, FCS playoffs this weekend.
1: Well, there we go. And I know you guys are big Paladins, so uh, go get them. Uh, F you
2: all the time, as they say. Yes, sir. Lawton, it's amazing we've gotten this far in the interview without talking anything about uh, Clemson against South Carolina. Clemson, rule number six of sports fandom. They now get to have their name first uh, said first again in the rivalry. Clemson versus South Carolina. Were you as surprised as I was, Lawton, at just the total ease with which Clemson dispatched of South Carolina? I mean, if you had told, if I had told you, Clemson doesn't score an offensive touchdown. There, there would have been uh, an, uh, just disbelief, uh, w- given how poor South Carolina's defense um, has been. But I, I felt like I was watching a game where where Clemson never put the vehicle more than thirty miles an hour on offense. You know, the vehicle was always just cruising at a very, very slow speed, and in the three thousand six hundred seconds. That encompassed, that encompassed the 60 minutes of that football game. Not a single one did I feel Clemson was in danger.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, it, it really, I'll be honest, I think in the the you know the first play from scrimmage, pretty big pickup for South Carolina. You kind of went, oh, man, this game might be a little more interesting than I thought And in the second play with the scoop and score. I kind of just thought to myself, well, maybe not. And that's the, kind of the way it went because you knew, that Spencer Rattler, if he had to drop back and throw the football over and over and over again, if South Carolina couldn't establish the run, I really did think they'd be in trouble. And, and obviously, Clemson's defensive line just was dominant. And, and to do what Clemson's done in Williams-Brice Stadium uh, is absolutely incredible. I mean, going back to 1980, I put that tweet out. You know, Clemson's only lost five games uh, in Williams-Brice Stadium, 1987-2001, and then during that five-game winning streak that Steve Spurrier had, three of those games happen in williams Bryce. And so from that standpoint, I mean, it's been a place where Clemson fans have gotten accustomed to going in and winning. The Clemson program's accustomed to going in there and winning. And uh, it sure looked like it on Saturday night. And I know Gamecock fans had to be disappointed uh, in their team's performance because, you know, they kind of – they get the perception that everybody talks about that – The SEC in the trenches is just, you know, going to be dominant by comparison to the Atlantic Coast Conference. But as I said to you early in the year when you asked me about this team, um, you know, they've got talent on the roster. And a lot of that talent resides on that defensive side of the ball uh, up front, especially and some of its really young talent. TJ Parker, my gracious sakes alive. I can't wait to see where this kid goes um, with his future in college football. But, yeah, that's what you saw on Saturday. I mean, it was, it was clinical, wasn't it? It just felt clinical. And I think for South Carolina fans, that's disheartening. I think for Clemson fans, it sort of um, puts into perspective, you know, what happened a year ago in Death Valley where I think everybody was pretty shocked at the outcome. Uh, but the reality is, and you saw it all season for Clemson and their four losses, if you don't protect the football, Mark, how good you are, you can be beaten. And uh, so the Tigers did a good job of that in the final four games of the season and have themselves in a pretty decent spot. It'll be interesting to see uh, where they end up in, in terms of their bowl matchup. But I can tell you to be at 8-4 and four right now compared to where they were not all that long ago, uh, I think Clemson fans feel good about that at least.
2: We'll close with this, Lawton. A quick thought on the ACC championship game. All My, my take has been, and this is coming from a Florida grad, I will be livid if um, I'll be livid, if Florida State's unbeaten and gets passed over for the CFP, I don't expect that to happen. I think that would be highway robbery and a crime. But given what I saw against my Florida Gators, I do think Louisville has a shot. How do you see this game turning out? I mean, it really kind of an inexplicable loss by Louisville to Kentucky.
1: Yeah, the kick return really was not, not necessarily a backbreaker, but that's, I mean, that's that's a big swing in a ball game, and I think that's a part of why they were on the losing end for sure. But yeah, I'm like you. I, I just, obviously, without Gordon Travis, it's not the same ball club. And uh, that's the same for everybody across the country. When you lose, you know, your starting quarterback, there's going to be a bit of a drop off. I, I think that the performance this weekend will be key uh, because if Rodemaker, you know, if he, if he looks, the part I don't know how you can't put them in if they're undefeated. Uh, you got to give them a shot. I mean, listen, dude, we had to watch Cincinnati go to the college football playoff because everybody everybody talked about, oh, they had earned their way in. I didn't think that team should have. I didn't think that team should be there because of talent. I think Florida State's got enough talent around Rodemaker that if you know they go up against another Power Five opponent and they force some turnovers, make some plays defensively, they can win the game. So I'm with you. I don't think you can keep out an undefeated Florida State as much as people might want to, because what the Seminoles did was they went into every game and came out on top. And if you're undefeated, I think you got to be in at this point, given the way the the landscape is all, you know, shaken out so far. What I am intrigued to see, though, guys, is if the one-loss scenario plays out, where you have everybody finish with one loss, a lot of 12 and 1 teams out there. Now that would be a fun uh, Sunday to break down how they put the college football playoff together in that scenario.
2: Lawton Swan, Clemson Find him on Twitter at Clemson Sports. Great stuff, pal. Look forward to talking with you next week. Appreciate you. Hey guys, take care. All right, Lawton Swan. There you have it, my friends. Really good stuff there. Changes made. Defensive line coach out. Thomas Austin out on the offensive line. So you think the likelihood is zero, and I think Lawton feels the same way. The
3: likelihood of the the college football playoff committee, even if Florida State wins the ACC championship game, the likelihood of them saying, well, we still don't think without Jordan Travis that they'll be able to do anything in the
2: playoff, and therefore leaving them out is pretty low yeah because diesel you can't do it on Vegas betting lines it, there has to be merit involved in this yeah you know and the merit is but they isn't earn their task their
3: isn't their task to put the four best teams in it's and if be they a, believe, hang on if yeah. they believe that one of the teams that is a candidate to be in is a now diminished team because their're because their quarterback is out you don't think that they would look i'm just trying to i'm just saying i don't put it past them to not do that
2: well, they would be some shady
3: characters. Yeah, it would be shady. It they, would be shady as hell, but I, I wouldn't what put it past them to do it.
2: Sa- what they're saying, then, is conjecture right. is more valuable than on-field results, and that would be such an well, awful we, precedent to say. Don't
3: we spend a lot of time talking conjecture, who would win if these two teams played on a neutral field? Isn't that what all of that is, conjecture?
2: Exactly. They put a lot of stock into that. Exactly. Exactly right. All right, my friends. Up next... The North and South Carolina top 10, 10 FBS teams in our two Carolinas. Who's first and who's last? That's next. Offsides, Mark Ryan and Diesel. We are the fan upstate. A texter says something I totally disagree with. He said, Mark, you said you're never going to be cool with players who skip out on bowl games. Jalen Smith is all I'm going to say. I would have agreed with you 100% until I saw that happen. Texter, do you live your life based on the exception or the rule? There are always going to be exceptions. So because one guy got injured when he played, that means nobody should play in the bowl games. Again, I want you to hear what I'm saying. These guys that are skipping out on bowl games have a greater chance of sustaining a career-ending injury in a car accident between now and April when the NFL draft takes place than they would playing in one more bowl game. Plus, they don't have a commitment to drive. They have a commitment to finish the deal, seal the deal with their teams, right? You know, this whole notion that bowl games don't matter, this is a social media creation. They matter to many people. They matter to me. But you remove the value when the best players don't play. So please don't give me one example. There's always going to be one example. You think kids would play in bowl games and no one ever gets hurt? Of course, it's football. Yeah, but,
3: uh, Texter, you also have to think about the player who played in a bowl game who balls out and uh, is able to improve his draft stock by playing really well on a big stage. You know, a guy that – and I'm just making this up here. A guy that could have been a high second-round guy is now a a low first-round guy because he looked really, really impressive – in a bowl game. we You hear it all the time on draft shows. They talk about, oh, this guy looked really good in this particular game or in this bowl game. Single-game performances can really matter,
2: can really push players higher or lower in the draft. 844-FAN-PHONE. That's 844-326-3663. The North and South Carolina Top 10 coming your way next. Here at Offsides, we are the Fan Upstate